The FT. Just beyond the shadow of skyscrapers, Cao Xiuzhen lives in a tiny dark room up a makeshift flight of steps that's more ladder than staircase. Under the eaves of a house precariously packed with people just like her, former peasants barely struggling to scratch a living in the world's largest economy. It's just past dawn on a lowering Shanghai day, and in this impromptu village of migrants, so similar to temporary migrant settlements all over China, one housewife chases a live waterfowl through the clutter of an impossibly narrow lane. Until it ducks under a scooter and sets off the vehicle's alarm, inches away on the other side of a thin plywood wall, a baby sleeps in a small lean-to room with its parents. Cao's husband squats nearby, brushing his teeth meticulously at an outdoor tap, while the next-door neighbor sits on her haunches, washing unmentionables in a basin full of suds. Others fetch buckets of water from the communal tap or load discarded cardboard onto three-wheeled carts, preparing for a day sorting through other people's rubbish to make a few cents selling it up the recycling chain. The sheer industriousness of it all is rather exhausting. So much life, so much effort, so much sacrifice, so much hope packed into so few square meters. Like Cao, her neighbors have come to Shanghai. From her native Anhui, traditionally one of China's poorest provinces, and from other provinces all over China, because the living they can make in the city is better than in the countryside. So many millions have obeyed that imperative that China reached the point earlier this decade when more than half its people live in cities. Shanghai is fabulous. It's so fabulous," says the bright-eyed forty-seven-year-old with a weather-beaten face and an ever-present smile. For our visit, she's dressed up in her best second-hand clothing. We can easily make money here, she says. I'm not educated, Cao says apologetically. In fact, she's only semi-literate. So when I came to Shanghai, I had no choice but to become a trash picker. It's a good trade to ply in a city full of the detritus of a new consumer society. Shanghai has a veritable army of people that makes a living as part of the unofficial but hugely efficient recycling industry. They pick plastic bottles out of trash bins, collect newspapers at subway stations during rush hour, or go door to door buying up old newspapers, books, cardboard, or plastics for a pittance. They earn a margin on that pittance by carting it all off to a network of suburban recycling stations, where they join a queue of tricycle carts waiting sometimes hours to sell to consolidators. At the pinnacle of that trash pile are some of the richest people in China. Such as rubbish baroness Jiang Yin of Nine Dragons Paper, ranked in 2010 by the Harun Rich List as the richest self-made woman in the world. Cao's recycling profit margins are a lot narrower than that, an average of 100 renminbi per day, sometimes more, sometimes nothing. Most of her profit comes from selling old newspapers and books in bulk, but her most profitable items are Mao-era memorabilia. Cultural revolution books are my bestsellers," she says, noting that she was just a child then, so I don't know anything about it. I only know it sells. Her current selection includes a 1969 copy of Albania Today magazine, complete with foreword by former dictator Enver Hoxha, and a 1975 Chinese aviation manual. 
But despite those treasures, Cao only makes enough profit to cover her university student's son's 1,000 renminbi a month living costs, with 500 renminbi left over to rent the room under the eaves. Previously, her grown daughter shared the room with her mother and common-law husband. It's hard to see how the room could possibly have accommodated three adults. In fact, it's hard to see how its eight square meters can accommodate even two people, given that Cao is currently feuding with her husband. She chokes up when she confides that she fears he's skimming money off recycling sales. Cao and her maid have called this single-room home for five years already. But though it's just beside one of Shanghai's largest ring roads, a road that millions of people drive along every day, one would never even know it was there. A modern, tarred road leads off the main thoroughfare, but it soon peters out into a jumble of narrow footpaths lined by ramshackle two-story structures scarcely visible behind all the plywood, corrugated iron, and plastic lean-tos tacked on to serve as outdoor kitchens or makeshift sleeping quarters. Most residents are migrants who rent from native Shanghainese landlords, one step up the Chinese pecking order because they have an official urban residence permit, which the migrants lack. Complaints about these landlords are common. On the padlocked doors of the room beneath Tsao's, residents have scrawled a note in magic marker directly onto the plywood. It says, Landlord, please fix this room or we will move out. When asked how many people live in the building in total, Tsao's husband cannot even hazard a guess. There are a lot, he says, pointing out that residents turn over frequently, leaving as soon as they can find something better. The eaves are so low that even a diminutive lady like her narrowly misses braining herself on them. Floor space is so limited that everything that can possibly be hung from the eaves or tacked to a plywood wall has to be. A side of fat pork hangs from a coat hanger, and the family spatula is tucked between two layers of the cardboard that lines the inside of the roof to stop the crumbling roof tiles from raining dust into the stir-fry. To cook, Cao has to pull her wok and gas cook plate out onto the narrow landing, where she fires it up with a gas bottle. A dusty shrine to the Buddhist goddess Guanying clings to a shelf on one wall. The walls are papered with pages from a 2009 calendar. The bed is a thin bamboo mat on a wooden platform, heaped high with colorful comforters. The loo is down the lane, in the direction the duck was running towards. But still, this isn't Mumbai or Soweto, or for that matter, parts of Baltimore or Harlem. What passes for slums in China's most modern city are not quite so desperate as some of those in other parts of Asia or Africa. One important difference is that Shanghai is relatively safe. Murders are rare. And for a big city, it's pretty clean with no stinking mounds of feces-strewn trash or fetid waterways of sewage. That's already quite an achievement. And like many such makeshift migrant communities in Shanghai, it's remarkably self-contained, offering many of the necessities of life without even leaving its warren of narrow lanes. Directly opposite Cao's front door, scarcely a meter across the lane, is a laundry complete with dry-cleaning equipment and a sewing machine for alterations. Right next door is a small dry goods shop selling rice, drinks, soap, and other essentials. Down the lane are butchers, who display ribs and cutlets and chops and other pig parts on plein air, as well as caged, live chickens, basins of squirming eels and flopping fish, all ready for the cooking pot. And at 6 a.m., a cooked traditional Chinese breakfast is easily to hand also. 
An open-air stall dispenses fresh-fried local breakfast delicacies. Frugal Sal makes her own morning repast, a simple bowl of rice and preserved vegetables. And she packs her lunch for the 40-minute tricycle ride to work to save money, too. Where she works, in one of Shanghai's most expensive residential and commercial areas, lunch at an upscale local diner can easily cost more than her total daily profit from a 12-hour day. Cao could live somewhere more expensive, but she prefers to invest what she earns in the future of her 23-year-old son, who plans to attend graduate school to study economics. She also has a 21-year-old daughter who cost her a fine of three times the family's annual income because she was born in violation of China's one-child policy. If my son can make 5,000 renminbi a month, he will be more than willing to give me 500 renminbi or maybe 300 renminbi a month when I'm old. But if he only makes 2,000 renminbi a month, then he will not be willing, she says, assuming, like most migrants in China, that her son will be her pension. But it will be quite a few more years yet before her filial investment begins to pay off. So every morning she sets off on her tricycle cart at 7.30 a.m., and every night she returns home more than 12 hours later, from the neon towers to the room that she calls a hole in the city that she calls fabulous. But she's not complaining. At least it's warm in winter and definitely better than where she came from. Favorite thing. Cao looks blank when we ask her to single out one favorite thing in the place that she calls home. What about the shrine, I suggest, but that doesn't strike her fancy. How about your favorite piece of clothing, I ask, knowing that Sao is a bit of a clothes horse. Today she has donned a gray-blue wool sweater with a schoolmarmish crocheted collar and a pair of skin-tight jeans to receive us. Later she adds an opulent red brocade blazer over the top, but those aren't her favorite things either. No one even mentions the color television. It seems we may have hit a bit of a raw nerve here. The night before, Sao's favorite pearl necklace bought on Shanghai's poshest shopping street, Nanjing West Road, broke during an argument with her husband. Eventually, she chooses a lesser seed pearl necklace as her current favorite, somewhat reluctantly. I love pretty things. All women love pretty things, she says. It may not be her all-time favorite string of pearls, but still, it makes me feel more beautiful, she says coyly. I'm Patty Waldmeyer, Financial Times, Shanghai with additional reporting by Jackie Tsai. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.